I met a good friend in school. It was kind of an uptight religious school. I was raised in the church, but this friend that I met, he was there for other reasons. I kind of tried to talk to him about religion from time to time, but he kind of blew it off. One day he said, why don't you come over to my house? He said, this is what my mom and I kind of do in our spare time. So we go over there, and he has a real nice house, kind of ornate, you know, a lot of collectible household items, and one of the items she has in this big open garden area is a Ouija board. So he convinces me, which goes against everything my mom had told me. Don't you mess with that stuff because something could attach to you. It could follow you back if it wants to. Just leave it alone. So me being a teenager, I was... Let me try it. So we gave it a shot and we got a few interesting responses. I was like, okay, that's that. So fast forward now, we're in our late 20s. I'm in school. Well, actually, I had just left college to move back in with my mom to help her with my grandmother. She was suffering with dementia at the time. My friends calls us up at maybe 3 or 3.30 in the morning. It was December. It was cold, snowing. And I could just hear him, my friend. He was just crying hysterically. So I get up, confused in a daze, asking him, What's going on? And she, Francisco's mom, says he needs our help. Grab your keys and let's go now. You know, if he lives a few miles away. We get to his house and he's standing outside in the snow with no shoes on. Just an undershirt and jeans. He immediately gets in the car, starts crying again. He's just shaking uncontrollably, probably from being cold and being scared. He starts to calm down, and we ask him, What's going on? What's happening in there? He says, I came home from hanging out with some friends. He's like, I smelled this awful smell, almost like sulfur. He's like, I paid to mind to it. I looked around the house. He's like, it's not until I came to my living room I seen a man sitting on my couch. The man was very, I guess in his terms, the man was very good looking, very well kept. My friend had a dog, a big rottweiler, and this rottweiler, instead of barking and going crazy and wanting to attack this guy, sat right next to the man. The man was kind of just stroking the dog. He said that when he looked at his eyes, his eyes were gray. There was no pupil, there was no white, that it was just completely grayed over, and I don't know if there was some type of... There was no verbal communication, he said, but the look, maybe not, not in his words, but maybe some type of thoughts. He felt his thoughts were being read by this being. He just, he said, it felt like his soul was being taken from him, and that this being knew, I have you right where I want you. Like I said, when he had gotten to the house, he had already in order for him to have gotten out of the house. I should have explained this a little bit better. He had to break the window out of his bedroom. So we just, my mom and I are like, do you have a key to get back in? The sun is starting to come up, you know. 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. We were like, we really didn't want to go in there, but let's go in there. So we started to make our way into the house, and the house is a wreck. Cupboards are basically torn off hinges. Food and dish plates are scattered all over the kitchen floor. There was even dog vomit in the living room and multiple areas of the house. 
Like I said, I was born and raised in the church, and nowadays too many people want to recognize the good. But there is evil out there. This certainly opened my eyes to it because seeing what I saw, what I sensed, the atmosphere was heavy just walking in that house and just knowing that, why would he, why would he, why would he, why would my friend go to extremes to break a window out of his own home? He said once he felt that, as I was explaining, once he felt that a part of him, a part of his soul was being taken by this entity. He stills insists that it was the devil. He said once he started feeling that awful feeling, he rushed to the front door. The door wouldn't budge. It wouldn't open. Nothing. So that's why he decided to break out the bedroom window. It was... Everyone I told the story to after that, or who were familiar with my friend, they were shaken. So we called the priests over to come and bless the house, and even the priests were. They had a look to them, that maybe there really was something here that we can't explain, and during the prayer, my friend. The one who went through all this, he straight fainted on the floor, so I don't know if it was a possession, but whatever happened, something happened. This is an encounter my girlfriend and her friend had a few years ago. Not mine personally. I've heard her tell this story a few times before, but after recently hearing them together describe what they saw, I thought maybe you would enjoy it. Maybe someone has seen something similar. This encounter happened in Lakewood, New Jersey a few years back. It was midday sometime in September. My girlfriend and her friend used to jog together regularly at local parks. The park they were at this particular day is called Lake Carasaljo, which butts up to a housing development. The trail they were on loops around the lake and three-quarters of trail is basically just a normal paved sidewalk that follows a road but eventually turns to dirt and through a small wooded area on the far side of the lake, the other one quarter of the trail. Mind you, this place is far from being remote. It is New Jersey, after all. While jogging through the wooded part of the trail, they came upon a creepy humanoid-looking figure on the edge of the trail that stopped them both in their tracks. They both keep referring to this thing as troll, like it was short, maybe four feet tall at most. It was dressed in a long black hooded cloak hunched over sitting on a wooden chest. Yes, a wooden chest. Exactly the kind you'd imagine a troll to be sitting on. They said they could not see any face at all because its head was directed at the ground and the hood was too long. But what they did notice was the cloak was short enough to see part of its legs and was wearing what looked like regular flesh, colored stockings and had very small clubbed feet. Its legs had large protruding boils or tumor, like lumps on the exposed area. It was wearing blue gloves too, terrified. They eventually made their way past this thing coming only a few feet from it hoping it wouldn't jump out at them. They got the hell out of there faster than they'd ever run before. It didn't say anything or try to cause them any harm. It just sat there, hunched over. They thought at first that maybe it was just a mannequin or something, someone put there as a joke, but they noticed hand movement right before they passed it. Needless to say, they have never gone back to this lake ever again. Every time my girlfriend talks about this encounter, I can hear the fear in her trembling voice and was obviously somewhat traumatized by the encounter. Even though I geek out about these types of stories all the time, she has absolutely zero interest in any of these types of things. She will roll her eyes or shake her head. 
and tell me I'm crazy when I tell her about a cool story of Bigfoot or aliens or whatever that I read about, trying to pique some interest in her on these types of subjects. However, she continues to want nothing of it. I'm a very open-minded person when it comes to this stuff. I can't say I believe in anything because I've never had a convincing encounter aside from hearing a few strange sounds in the woods I couldn't explain. I always ask myself, is it possible creatures, aliens? Bigfoot exist? The answer is usually yes. But then again, someone just playing a prank to mess with people is extremely more logical sometimes, especially in a place like New Jersey. I live in a very rural part of northern New Jersey in Sussex County. Behind my property and to the left of my house is all forest. There are a few trails. Next door to me is a protected wilderness area where you can't build on it. Every once in a while I would take my son in his little wagon and would set up on the clearing and have a little picnic. We were playing a few feet up before you go into the woods. So we're playing on the little clearing and he starts to mimic the sounds that he hears. For instance, the neighbor's dog, birds, etc. He mimicked the sounds around us, like the squirrels running by and the chipmunks. All of a sudden I turned around to get him some fruit salad or whatever we were eating that day, and out of the corner of my eye I see him just stop. He's saying mom mom, but he's staring away, not looking at me. He's looking into the tree and he's pointing, but he's not blinking. I turned around. I asked, what do you see? Do you see a birdie? Then it hit me. There were no sounds. He starts walking into the woods, but the whole time he's looking up. He's still not looking where he's going and pointing up into the tree. The only movement I see besides my son are leaves rustling in the tree. Then I see it, and it's like heat rising up off the concrete on a sunny day. But it's in the tree, and it's like crouched down. One arm is out to the side, and its knees are bent. Immediately, I feel this thing's glare burning into me. Then I hear the clicking sound. As soon as his eyes snapped to me, my son looked at me and freaking panicked. It literally had the shape of a humanoid. It's so hard to explain because it was human. Like, but the way it was crouched reminded me of a praying mantis. My son is then mimicking a clicking sound that this thing was making. I grab my son and we run back to the house. All the food and everything is left in the woods. I told my friend about what we experienced that evening. He went back into the woods and gathered my belongings. He stayed in the woods for about an hour, telling me later that he did not see or hear anything unusual. That was six months ago. It is now February 2023. I have read a few Glimmerman reports from others online. When I go outside during the day, I occasionally hear those same clicking sounds coming from the woods. At night, while in bed, I hear the faint clicking sounds emanating from the deep woods. I believe that this glimmer man is stalking us. I asked my neighbors if they heard the strange clicking sound. They have not. Maybe I am only allowed to hear them. I will keep you updated. I took a trip to stay in a cabin in the middle of the woods, high up in the mountains of the city of Ranger. Georgia, USA. This neighborhood was 30 minutes up in the mountains away from civilization, and even the cabins were spread far apart. The front deck of the cabin was completely exposed to the woods, so I acknowledged that any animals could stroll along if they pleased. But I stayed there for about a week, 
and me and my boyfriend sat outside on the front deck every night. Very late and at no point felt in danger. It was peaceful with fireflies out and sounds of crickets every night. Until the fifth night, it was eerily dark too. The moon was covered heavily. It was about midnight and all of a sudden I didn't feel peace like I did those other nights. The forest went completely quiet and I felt a horrible sense of dread. I genuinely feared for my life. I sat there in my chair looking out into the dark forest, trying to rationalize and calm myself down that it was my mind playing tricks. But all of a sudden my boyfriend said out loud that he felt unsafe. That's when I realized it wasn't just me. We then both heard a blood-curdling scream and we pulled out a flashlight to see what it was. Turns out it was a grey fox. They make scary screaming sounds. The weird part was that the fox was running and had its ears and tail down like it was scared. This was in June, and I read that foxes scream like that when it's mating season or if they're in danger. Their mating season is winter, and this happened in June. So I do believe this fox was in danger or afraid as well, adding to our fear. The cabin has three floors, and we were able to climb out the window and sit on the roof because we wanted to still be outside and relax. Didn't matter how high up I was, I felt something truly evil and stayed inside. The only other time I felt something so evil, or like someone was watching, was when I had a few paranormal experiences at a haunted house. Georgia doesn't really get mountain lions that often. Maybe a bear, but it didn't feel that way at all. It felt unnatural. Me, Glenn, and our friends Larry and Katrina were camping near the Malala site two years ago on March 2nd, 1996. But we were further down Copper Creek Road, about five, six miles away. We set up camp at an old gravel pit with a creek behind it, and it was right next to the road. At around 10, 11 p.m., we heard a loud scream coming from down in the canyon. It was so loud, it made the hairs on the back of our necks stand up. Later that night, we heard another scream, but this one was closer. We were so scared that we all stayed in the truck that night. At around 2 a.m., our dog who was tied to a nearby tree, started to go crazy and tried to get into the truck with us. We then heard two thuds which sounded really close, like a big limb breaking and hitting the ground. It was so terrifying that we couldn't go back to sleep for the rest of the night. The next night, we moved to a new locality at the end of a dead-end road nearby. This time, we saw something even more strange. There were lights hovering over the trees, lighting them up, The lights were just above tree height and made no sounds. We all stood there in awe, trying to figure out what we were seeing. It was like nothing we had ever seen before. We stayed up for the rest of the night, afraid to close our eyes and miss anything. We never did figure out what was causing all of the strange occurrences during that camping trip. It's something that still haunts me to this day. I had a couple of experiences in the 1970s. I was newly moved to what was then a fairly wooded area of Provo, Utah on the northwest side. My mom and I lived on a main artery of town with woods going down to the Provo River. A couple of my girlfriends from high school had spent a Saturday night at my house. That Sunday morning we walked down to the fields and apple orchards in back of our house. 
which went back several acres. We had just gone between two old outbuildings and were about to open the gate to go into the orchard over the irrigation creek when all three of us heard an extremely loud growl and howl come from the building to our right. It didn't sound like a dog or have that wild, crazy cry of a coyote. It sounded to all three of us exactly like the howling of a wolf. We looked at each other and split running for the house. We were the only ones home. We locked the doors, pulled down the shades, and huddled in the living room, trying to figure out what we had heard. All three of us were experienced campers, and we had heard all sorts of animals on these trips, and many of the camping trips had been the three of us together. This sounded weird, sort of extremely loud, but yet muffled, like listening to a kid's talking into the old string and confones. Tape recorders were cassette or reel, to reel at that time. There was no way someone was hiding in that building playing a tape recorder. There was no electricity to those buildings. They were boarded up and padlocked. There were no loose boards or holes, something like a big dog or even a cat could get in there. You would have needed to have an amplifier or speaker cranked up to get that sort of volume. My mom found us sitting in the front room in the dark, and we were really hesitant to tell her what we had heard for obvious reason. She sort of blew it off. We never did find out anything on it. The adults that we asked about it said it was our imagination. To this day, the three of us still talk about that incident. The second incident happened in 1977. I was in college then and now living in a massive apartment complex in the southwest part of Provo. My mom and I had gone to bed around 9. We were both awakened at 1 a.m. to growling. We were both awakened at 1 a.m. to growling right outside the sliding glass door in my bedroom. We could hear something large out there. It let out this blood-curdling howl, almost exactly like what my friends and I had heard a few years earlier. My mom wanted to look out the window. I had two small adult dogs at the time, and they had dove under the bed, silent, and wouldn't come out for hours. I told her, don't look out the window. I didn't want to see this thing. But more to the point, I didn't want it to see us. We could hear it whining and growling, running off through the parking lot, eventually fading away. We didn't sleep that night. The next morning, I knocked on our neighbor's door and asked if they had heard a dog howling in our adjoining backyard. He said no. He'd slept peacefully. It was hard for me to believe he hadn't heard it because it had been so loud and weird. I told my mom what he had told me and she couldn't believe anyone could have slept through that. We stayed up the next night and waited. We couldn't sleep. I had since tacked down my drape so whatever it was couldn't peek in. So we drank coffee in the front room in the dark and watched the clock. Right at 1 a.m. it started again. Again the dogs froze and suddenly darted noiselessly under the table and shook. This time the whining of whatever it was almost sounded like a baby crying. There was growling and then it began to howl, and midway through the howl, and midway through the howl, it stopped suddenly, like something had startled it. We heard a rustle and loud thumping running. Again, we heard the weird baby cry and whine fade off through the grass going west. We never heard it again after that. I guess I am basically posting this experience to see if anyone has any more information as to what it was, or has experienced that themselves in the Provo area. It definitely left an impression on us 
three high school friends that we're still trying to puzzle out even now in our mid-sixties. Thank you for your thoughtfulness in reading my experience. I'm Lily, a dedicated park ranger entrusted with the task of safeguarding this pristine land in Appalachians. One day, navigating the rugged terrain with ease, my senses sharpened as I noticed a trail marker I had never seen before. Its presence intrigued me, tinged with a hint of concern for the park's integrity. Against my better judgment, curiosity got the better of me, and I decided to follow the path, hoping to uncover its origin and purpose. To my astonishment, the trail took me on a journey far beyond anything I had anticipated. The once familiar landscape transformed into an eerie and disorienting alternate reality. Trees twisted and contorted, whispering secrets that I could not comprehend. Shadows danced with a life of their own, casting eerie shapes that sent shivers down my spine. It dawned on me with a mix of awe and fear. I had become trapped in a dimension parallel to my own. Panic threatened to consume me, but I knew I had to stay composed and find a way back home. Alone in this strange realm, I ventured further along the vanishing trail, my senses on high alert. To my relief, I encountered others who had also fallen victim to this enigmatic phenomenon. We formed a fragile alliance, bound by the shared desire to escape this twisted reality. Together, we relied on our survival skills, drawing strength from each other as we navigated the treacherous and unpredictable realm. As we delved deeper into the mystery, we discovered that the vanishing trail was not a mere anomaly, but a malevolent gateway that fed off the life force of those trapped within. Its insidious power grew with each passing day, threatening not only our lives, but also the very fabric of reality itself. Driven by a sense of urgency, we deciphered cryptic clues and faced our deepest fears. Puzzles confronted us at every turn, testing our resolve and pushing us to the brink of sanity. Yet we refused to succumb to despair. United in purpose, we channeled our inner strength and unwavering determination to break free from the clutches of the malevolent entity. Time became both our enemy and our ally. Each passing moment heightened the danger, but it also brought us closer to unraveling the truth behind the vanishing trail. We learned that the power to escape lay within ourselves. We learned that the power to escape lay within ourselves, within the bonds we forged as a group. Unity became our beacon of hope, guiding us through the darkest corners of this distorted dimension. In the face of overwhelming odds, I found strength I never knew existed. It was a testament to the resilience of the human spirit, the unwavering spirit of survival that refuses to be extinguished. We fought against the unknown, battling the twisted forces that sought to consume us as we sought to restore balance and find a way back home. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, we stood at the threshold of freedom. The vanishing trail had become a test of our will, and we emerged victorious, forever changed by the harrowing journey we had undertaken. As I stepped back into my own reality, I knew that the memory of that alternate realm would forever be etched in my mind. 
a reminder of the strength I found within myself and the enduring power of human resilience in the face of the unknown. We were camping in an isolated spot. There was one other family camping at quite a distance from us and apparently no one else for miles. We had been watching for Bigfoot signs all day as we had been interested for a very long time. We were right next to the creek and planning to sleep in a bed in the back of our open station wagon. In the afternoon, as we were exploring the creek, we heard the distant sound of wood striking wood. We are bird watchers and very familiar with the sounds of woodpeckers. It was nothing like that. It sounded like a very large branch striking a tree trunk. An axe might have made a similar sound, but the people were in the opposite direction, and there didn't seem to be anyone else for a great distance. Besides, the rhythm was all wrong for an axe on a tree. Instead of a steady chop-chop, there would be two or three strikes, and then a pause, as if they were listening. It went on for maybe twenty minutes, periodically. We kept trying to answer back with the same sound, but it didn't sound the same. We couldn't swing a large enough stick to make the same sound. Whoever was making the sound appeared to answer us back. That night we camped, but as the fire got low we became very uncomfortable for no apparent reason. Perhaps it was just our imagination, but finally we decided to go home. We decided to go home. We decided to come back when we were able to get a motorhome so we could be inside something. We now have the motorhome and are going to try again next weekend in the same location. If we have any success, we will let you know. This seems like a small thing, and there may be some other explanation, but we couldn't think of anything else that fit the facts. At least it will be a lot of fun to go back and maybe we could be lucky enough to see a Bigfoot. When I was a young man, I often used to go out in the mountains over there, pointing out of the window in their direction, to fish for trout or to hunt, and it was in January on a cold, dry day while carrying my gun that I and a friend with me. As we were walking around, Ben Bulbin saw one of the gentry for the first time. I knew who it was, for I had heard the gentry described ever since I could remember, and this one was dressed in blue with a headdress adorned with what seemed to be frills. When he came up to us, he said to me in a sweet and silvery voice, The seldomer you come to this mountain, the better. A young lady here wants to take you away. Then he told us not to fire off our guns because the gentry dislike being disturbed by the noise. And he seemed to be like a soldier of the gentry on guard. As we were leaving the mountains, he told us not to look back, and we didn't. Another time, I was... Alone trap fishing in nearly the same region when I heard a voice say, It is barefooted and fishing. Then there came a whistle like music and a noise like the beating of a drum, and soon one of the gentry came and talked with me for half an hour. He said, Your mother will die in eleven months, and do not let her die unanointed. And she did die within eleven months. As he was going away, he warned me, You must be in the house before sunset. Do not delay. Do not delay. They can do nothing to you until I get back in the castle. As I found out afterwards, he was going to take me, but hesitated because he did not want to leave my mother alone. After these warnings, I was always afraid to go to the mountains. But lately, I have been told I could go if I took a friend with me.
I was driving home to Bend near Sunset, just south of Lapine, on his Highway 97 on November 5, 1996, when a hawk was flushed from the tree line ahead on my right. It flapped vigorously, headed southward directly toward my car, crossed over it, and kept going. It was not gliding, it was accelerating. Seconds later, I saw a tall, rangy figure suddenly emerge from the cover of the tree line, about 150 feet ahead on my right and stride determinedly toward the road across a grassy fringe. As I slowed and closed the distance to within fifty feet, the figure with no hesitation, stopping neither to look in the direction of my approaching car nor to gauge the speed and distance, glided across the two lanes in four strides and kept going directly into the cover of the pines. On the other side of the road, I asked my wife if she had seen the person crossing the road. I wanted her opinion of what had transpired before expressing my own suspicions. Unfortunately, she said no, that she had been trying to follow the flight of the hawk behind the car. On immediate reflection, I realized I had seen something unusual but could not say what exactly I had seen, nor can I say now what it was. But if it was a human being, it was a strange one. The figure seemed not just tall but very tall. I would estimate close to six feet eight to seven feet tall, based the figure's height relative to roof of my car. The length of stride required to cross the road in just four strides would be quite large. Its actions did not seem typically human. It did not wait for its chance to cross at the roadside. It waited, hidden in the tree line. When its chance came, it never slowed until hidden in the pines on the other side of the road. It didn't even turn toward me, though its efforts indicated it was aware of and concerned by our car's approach. It didn't run or jog as a human might who is caught crossing the road in front of an approaching car. Its step was a well-articulated, almost thoughtful, full heel-to-toe stride with a vigorous push-off. It moved briskly with a long, swinging arc of the arms, a slightly stiff body lean with the head and trunk bent forward from the waist. The head was not bent at the neck. I saw no neck. The whole upper torso was bent from the waist. I have thought about the clothing. During the brief seconds, I had seen the figure. The clothing appeared to be completely and uniformly dark, top to bottom, without distinguishing characteristics. I could not identify the articles of clothing. Jacket, jeans, boots, gloves, etc. With one exception... The one article of clothing that I might have noted was perhaps a peaked lumberjack's cap with a fuzzy tassel. On reflection, I wonder if it might instead have been the often reported pointed head or skull. I had been a park ranger for over a decade, and I thought I had seen it all. One day I was called to investigate a series of strange disappearances in a national park. At first I thought it was just a case of lost hikers or campers who had wandered off the beaten path, but as I dug deeper, I realized that something far more evil was happening. The disappearances all seemed to be connected, with each victim vanishing without a trace in the same area of the park. But what was even more bizarre was that there was no sign of a struggle or any evidence of foul play. I knew that I had to follow every lead, no matter how small. If I was going to get to the bottom of this mystery and as I dug deeper, I began to uncover a web of lies and deceit that went far beyond what I could have ever imagined. 
It all started when I stumbled upon a secret government facility hidden deep in the woods. At first, I thought it was just a research station or a wildlife monitoring outpost. But as I got closer, I realized that something far more dark was going on. The facility was involved in genetic experimentation using animals from the park as test subjects. They were creating hybrid creatures, blending the DNA of different species in a twisted attempt to create the ultimate predator. I was horrified by what I saw, and I knew that I had to expose this atrocity to the world. But before I could do anything, I was ambushed by a group of armed men who whisked me away to an unknown location. For days, I was held captive, interrogated, and threatened. They wanted to know everything I had discovered, and they made it clear that if I didn't keep quiet, I would suffer the same fate as the missing campers and hikers. But I refused to be silenced. I knew that what they were doing was wrong, and I was determined to fight back. I failed. The next day, when a new park ranger arrived, he seemed completely unaware of the disappearances or the government facility and a lost park ranger. It was as he had never existed, as if he had been erased from history. 